0: During one of my recent trips to London uh, um, I I came across a couple of examples of what makes the British stand out from the rest of the world. It's the custom of not talking to people unless you know them. (laughs) The first encounter came at King's Cross train station where a young boy and his mother were strolling through the concourse having just completed their journey. Mummy the lad asked, with the earnestness of a child hungry to unlock the secrets of the universe why was no one talking on the train? now his mother was clearly overwhelmed by the unfathomable mystery of this topic so she decided to ease her embarrassment with humour because it's against the law, she said (laughs) what happens if you do it? the lad followed up They arrest you. What happens then? They send you to prison. How long for? (laughs) 27 years. And with that, the poor boy fell silent and walked on, pondering the harshness of the British judicial system and making a mental note to never, ever talk on a train. I read the other example in a national newspaper. It was an article about a much-needed new product about to be launched on the British people. A bold new solution to the problem of, how can I put this delicately, dog waste on sidewalks. A company called PooPrints has set itself the ambitious goal of compiling a comprehensive doggy DNA database. But their ambition is surpassed by their faith in what happens next. Let's say you are a potential client and you find some dog waste on your driveway. Well, you're supposed to scoop it up and mail it to PooPrints... ...who will exact some DNA and cross-reference it against their database. Then, having identified the guilty dog owner, the company sends them a threatening letter. One that probably makes the 27 years for talking on a train look pretty lenient. (laughs) Now let's just get this straight... The British would rather send dog poo to each other in the mail than shout, Hey, buddy, clean up after your dog, the way Americans would. (laughs) Well, in today's Gospel lesson, we get proof positive that God is not British, like we're in any doubt. (laughs) Because God speaks simply, directly, and without embarrassment, awkwardness, or beating about the bush. You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. The place is the Jordan River, the hearer is Jesus, and the occasion is his baptism. Wouldn't it be nice if this kind of event were normal, if it happened to you? You're going about your business, driving to work, playing with the kids, watching TV, and God booms out his commentary on it. Nice overtaking manoeuvre. I'm so proud of your driving. Terrific effort encouraging your child to read. You're such an amazing parent. Great prayer, lady in the fifth row, you really make my heart swell, I love it when you do that. (laughs) Wouldn't that be good? If we heard God audibly give a play-by-play of our lives. Unfortunately, God seems to reserve his impression of a sports announcer to really, really big and momentous events like Jesus' baptism. For the rest of the time, we have to tune out the noise of the crowd before we can hear the still, small voice that comes from the lips of God. And even then, we can be quite unaware that it was God we just heard. But on that special day, the day of Jesus' baptism, God departed from his usual MO. You are my son, the beloved, with you I am well pleased. And he did it for a good reason. This dunking in the Jordan marked the very beginning of Jesus' three-year white-knuckle ride that would take him from total obscurity in Nazareth through the Judean countryside and eventually to Jerusalem, the place of history and prestige, of power and wealth, of a cross and an empty tomb. There, on the riverbank, surrounded by other men and women who had come to John to be bathed with water and showered with grace, Jesus enters transition. One period of his life is drawing to a close and a new one is about to begin. Obscurity is about to be immersed in the death of baptism and reborn as revolution. For 30 years, Jesus has been at the University of Life, the School of Hard Knocks. Deep in his heart, he has grown the knowledge that he has a job to do, a mission to fulfill, a plan so crucial that God has gambled the future of the cosmos on it. The next three years would turn the world upside down. 36 months of transforming the fabric of the human race. 12 seasons in which winter, spring, summer and autumn would be touched by grace, infused with love. The next thousand days would change men and women, girls and boys, for all time and in every way. And it needed preparing. Jesus needed preparing. I admit to feeling a little uncomfortable when I say Jesus needed something, as if it's on the verge of blasphemy to suggest that he had to learn to grow or to change. But he was fully human as well as being fully divine, and so he did. Some experiences were vital before he was ready to begin those three radical, earth-shattering years. Temptation was one. 40 days of testing in the wilderness, experiencing the heat of battle with evil. The selection of his disciples was another, his group of friends, supporters, co-workers, who would share his mission and provide their help. But more than that, Jesus needed to experience those 30 years of daily mundane grind. Like us, he was refined by the normal events of life. Growing up, learning from parents and teachers, becoming ill, getting splinters in his fingers, working hard to earn a living, forming relationships, having his heart broken, being rejected, overlooked, insulted, lied to. The things that shape all of us, and prepare us for lives that God can use. But key among all these experiences of preparation that Jesus needed to go through before his public ministry started, is this, his baptism, and the big voice of God, you are my son, the beloved, in you I am well pleased. Now if Jesus needed to be reminded that he was God's beloved child then how much more do we need to hear that same voice uttering those same words this knowledge was foundational to Jesus life and it needs to be for us too so I invite you right now to think about your calling because you have one Sure, it's not to be the son of God, but it is to be the person God has made you to be in the place he has called you to live. A friend, a worker, maybe a spouse or a parent, possibly a leader in your workplace or family or community. God has placed you there for a purpose You are called by him to serve, to show up each day in spirit and soul as well as just in body. You are called to be significant, to touch God's world somehow, in some small way, to make this creation better. So that when you get to bed tonight, you will give thanks that the places God led you to go today are better because you were there. Sometimes we have to look hard to see how God wants to use us. At other times, it's so obvious that we can't miss it. Our only option is to say, OK, God, use me. Last May, I took a ride on the Long Island Railroad, heading east from Penn Station. I love being around trains railways excite me the locomotive is surely one of the greatest gifts the British ever gave the world (laughs) and as I walked through the rabbit warrens beneath Manhattan from the platform where Amtrak had delivered me to the nook where the Long Island Railroad promised to whisk me away I basked in the history and splendour of this technological marvel I also enjoyed the nods of respect from people as I passed because I was wearing this collar. Some even offered a good morning, Father, as they hurried by. I inwardly smiled at the realisation that this is what it must feel like to be a Roman Catholic priest in this city profoundly influenced by Irish, Italian, Latin and Polish immigrants. I eventually found my way through the rabbit warren and in due course stepped off the platform and onto a carriage, reminding myself that I was not Roman Catholic but Church of England and therefore I should not talk to anyone on the train I had now boarded. (laughs) 27 years is a terribly long time. But God is bigger than even British reserve and his plans for me that day were grander than I had expected. We had departed Penn and were sluggishly moving through Brooklyn when a well-dressed, earnest but burdened-looking man, no older than 30, stood up from his seat a few yards away and moved towards the vacant one next to me. Oh no, I thought to myself. (laughs) Please don't start a conversation. I have 53 years of cultural conditioning to overcome. (laughs) But oblivious to the thought bubbles that were now spewing from the top of my head, he lowered himself into the empty seat and spoke. Excuse me, Father, will you hear my confession? This was not the moment to insist I was a Protestant and that he could approach God directly and dispense with the (laughs) middleman. Yes, of course, I replied. What would you like to say to God? And there, on the crowded 952 to Garden City, this beautiful child of God poured out his heart as if we were the only two people on board. When he had finished, I told him that God loved him, had heard him, and he was forgiven. I crossed him and mumbled something about the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, just like I'd seen on TV. (laughs) I told him that he could go in peace and feel the freedom of the fresh start that God was handing him. He breathed an audible sigh of relief thanked me, stood up, and having lost 50 pounds of guilt, floated to his seat. I returned to my book and reflected on an encounter that I had not sought and did not deserve, this glimpse of glory on the Long Island Railroad. Half an hour later, we reached my station, and as I rose to my feet and started towards the door, I couldn't help a glance at the prodigal son who had taught me a lesson in humility. There he was, the man who had been so anxious, burdened, tormented, now fast asleep. You see, something happens... In baptism. It's going to happen for Benjamin and Joseph too. It works. It changes you. In those three handfuls of water, God claims you, sets you apart, and gives you a job. It will take you the whole of your life to finish that task, which magnificently and coincidentally is exactly how long God has given you on this earth. It's in your DNA. You are in God's database. So this morning, look deeply. Remember who you are. At a font or in a pool, your destiny was sealed. You are God's beloved child. He is pleased with you. And then go and live like it. Keep your eyes wide open and your heart even wider. Be alert for God's word, urging you to be his co-worker in changing the world. Amen.